Well, once again, we're so glad to see you today. Glad to have you here with us. And uh, I'm glad that the wind didn't blow us out and kind of destroy everything we were thinking of doing this weekend. So that's great. So very thankful, very thankful for that. Last Sunday, we began a series of messages on the Gospel of Mark. And today, I want to back up just a little bit and give you some background info on Mark. Not his biography of Jesus, but Mark the man. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you were not very useful to the Lord? That if you couldn't preach or teach or sing or play a musical instrument, that you weren't very useful in the work of the Lord? Or you maybe you'd like to talk to people about the Lord, but you can't remember anything and you don't know what to say. Or the thought of someone asking you a question that you don't know the answer to just sends chills down your spine. Or you haven't really done anything fantastic for the Lord, or you don't think that you have. So you feel perhaps insignificant and somewhat useless and wonder if your life has really counted for anything for the Lord Jesus. You may have the confidence that you're saved, that you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I pray that you do. But, but do, do you, but you may wonder is if God is really using you or if he even can use you or will use you. You know, those feelings are not uncommon among the Lord's people. When my mother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer 35 years ago and not given much of a chance for survival, she was 63 at the time. She said to us something like, I don't recall the exact way she worded it, but something like this, what have I ever done for Christ? I wonder what I have ever accomplished for the Lord. As I said, I don't recall the exact way that she worded it, but that was the basic idea. And her family response to her was, Mom, look at, look at your life. Look at your four daughters that you raised. You were faithful to the Lord for 40 years. You raised four daughters who know the Lord and, and have served the Lord. Three of them married men in the ministry, men in the ministry and, and have worked for Christian organizations and, and have been in, in service industries, ministering to the elderly and many other things. You've been a wonderful servant to the Lord. On a personal note, of course, uh, Carol's mom was conducting a backyard Bible club for the neighborhood kids in their, in their area in 1964. And, and one of the kids who came to Christ that week was Carol. So certainly, uh, as, you know, as a result of her mother's outreach to neighborhood kids. Uh, but uh, so I, to me, I'm thinking, well, that's that's fantastic. If that's the one great thing you did for the Lord was you led your daughter to Christ and, and, and influenced her others as well. But but my my dear sweetheart of a mother-in-law, and, and she was indeed, you know, was always serving in the background, laboring faithfully to individuals in quiet, mostly unseen personal sorts of ways. So she came to life's end wondering if her life had counted for something for the Lord Jesus. From my perspective, of course, it absolutely did, and only eternity will reveal all that her life and her testimony meant. But I want you to look, if you would, to turn to the Gospel of Mark. You may have already been there. I want you to look, if you would, at an interesting passage in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. As we kind of begin a little Bible survey of a few thoughts regarding Mark and some other things. And he records a very fascinating statement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gospel of Mark in chapter 9. 
We won't look at the entire context, but Jesus is having a discussion with his disciples. Uh, this does occur also in other, in other Gospels. This story is recorded. But, but look at verse 38. Mark 9, verse 38. It says, Now John answered him, saying, This is answered the Lord Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is on our side. But look at verse 40, or 41, there's such a key. For whoever gives you, meaning his disciples, a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. There's a lot we could say about in this passage, but I want to focus on verse 21, verse, verse 41, where the Lord Jesus himself says that when we do something as simple as offering water to a thirsty disciple of the Lord Jesus, when, and, and when we do it as an act of service to the Lord, he says there's reward in that. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And I tell you these things to remind you that public ministry is not the sum total of serving God. In fact, most biblical ministry is taking place in quiet, mostly unseen, personal sorts of ways. Individual acts of kindness, encouraging words, acts of helpful service for the needs of others, handshakes and hugs, graciousness in the home, being honest and honorable in our business dealings, being faithful to the Lord in the gatherings of his people, on and on and on we could go. Public ministry is obviously a significant part of the Lord's work, but it is by no means all that there is. One verse that has become so blessed to me over the years that I want to show you again before we leave this particular topic is Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. When I was in my youth, people used to encourage us to get a, uh, uh, to, uh, to kind of pick a life verse, something that, that sort of was encouraging to you and challenging to you and, and just was a real blessing to you. And I've had a couple of different life verses uh, over, over the course of my life. When I was young, I had one particular one a few years or a decade or so later. I think I may have picked another one. And, but for about the last 15 or 20 years, this, this has kind of been my verse. Hebrews 6 and verse 10. If you've never marked it, if you're a Bible highlighter and you're an underliner Bible highlighter, I would encourage you to mark, mark, mark this verse. God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Let me read that again. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints, and you do minister. God does not forget your labor of love when you minister to the saints. He sees simple acts of kindness. He sees the welcoming handshakes and hugs. 
He hears the words of encouragement. He sees the gracious acts of service. And he does not forget. A lot of other people might forget. But God does not forget. He said, God is not unjust. He does not forget what you have tried to do for Christ. He doesn't forget those simple things, those, those in the background things, those things that hardly anybody knows about, the things that very few people see. He said, he said, you have ministered to the saints and you're still doing it. And he said, God will not forget that. That is a labor of love. So he, he sees it all. And it's not all public ministry. In fact, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about is not public ministry. He's talking about all the things that you do the rest of the week. And all the things you do with your friends and your neighbors and your family. And all the ways you try to reach people and minister to people for Christ. God will not forget your labor of love. Now John Mark, or Mark as we, we generally know him, John was his Jewish name, Mark was his Greek Roman name. We see him mentioned both ways in the New Testament. Mark was not, he was not a prophet. He was not an apostle. He was not a pastor. He was not any kind of official church leader, as far as we can tell. You know what Mark was? Mark was a helper. He was an assistant. He was, to use one of our modern words, he was a gopher. Go for this and go for that. We always have that on, on, our, on our job sites. We, al- we always need a gopher. Somebody to go for this and go for that. And that's what Mark was. He was the helper. He was the assistant. And and, and, in in looking through the New Testament, the first time that we encounter Mark is Acts chapter 12. And I want to give you just a brief history of Mark's life because I want you to be able to identify with who Mark was and what he became. So look, if you would, at the book of Acts in chapter 12. Does the PA system seem a little loud to you today? Or are we okay with that? Oh, okay, okay, terrific. Acts chapter 12, of course, this, this story you are familiar with. We've, we've talked about it many times. Uh, Herod, uh, he grabs James, the apostle, and he kills him. Has him killed with a sword, we presume, we uh, beheaded. And because it made the Jewish authorities happy, so he arrested Peter. And, and we, we know this story, but I want to read part of it to you here. Uh, start in verse 5, Acts 12 and verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, and constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. And I, I won't run a long rabbit trail here, but just think about this. Peter figures the next day they're going to march him out and chop off his head. What's he doing? He's sleeping. You think he had peace from God? Apparently he did. You know, thinking he's just about to be martyred because he said he's he's about to bring him out, meaning bring him out to execute him. And Peter's sleeping, and he's chained between the guards. Verse 7, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. A light shone in the prison. He struck Peter on the side. He, he wasn't just dozing. He was sleeping. The angel kind of has to, has to boot him in the ribs. Peter, wake up. And he raised him up and saying, Arise quickly. His chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie in your sandals. And so he did. 
And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel. It was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought it was, all, he thought it was just a, it was all a dream. He couldn't believe what was happening. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, means from the prison back into the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. Now when Peter had come to himself, he realizes, hey, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not asleep. This, this is real. I mean, I'm out. I'm out. All the, all the gates opened. All the chains fell off. And it's quite a fantastic, miraculous thing. Peter came to himself and he said, I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. She forgot to unlock the door for him, ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And they said to her, you are beside yourself. She kept insisting it was so, and they said, it is his angel. Another funny thing that we can kind of chuckle about. You pray and 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 pray, and then God grants you the request, you don't believe it. We're probably guilty of the same kinds of things. So Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, go tell these things to James and the brethren. He departed and went to another place. He went from Judea down to Caesarea, and he he stayed there down by the coast. So when Herod killed James, then he arrested Peter, planned to do the same thing to him. There's this big prayer meeting going on at a house in in, in Jerusalem. The angel of the Lord comes. He miraculously lets Peter out of prison, shows up at the prayer meeting. The little servant girl comes at the door. She's so excited to see Peter, she forgets to unlock the door. She ran into the prayer meeting, telling Peter was there and nobody believed her. But the point I want to make is this. The house where the prayer meeting was going on was Mark's mother's house. And when Peter got out of jail, he could have gone to a lot of places. But where did he go? He went to Mark's mother's house. Mark was there, I'm sure. So Mark, that we've been studying or going to be studying for months, his gospel, Mark was right in the middle of all of the action in the early church in Jerusalem. He knew the apostles. He knew Peter. When Peter was miraculously delivered from Herod's prison, he went to Mark's mother's home, apparently knowing that there would be followers of Jesus there. That's where one of the big prayer meetings was going on. So Mark's mother was also a follower of Jesus, and her home was one of the gathering places of the early disciples. Now we learn from other places in the New Testament as well that Barnabas, which you are familiar with, if you remember Paul and Barnabas and their, and their, and their church planting travels, Barnabas was an elder, excuse me, an elder in the church at Antioch. And he was the Apostle Paul's ministry partner on his first church planting journey. We see in a verse that we'll look at in just a second that, that Barnabas was John Mark's cousin. And on that first journey with Paul, Barnabas took John Mark along with him. Somewhere along the line, Mark left them, went back to Jerusalem halfway through the journey. 
When it came time for Paul's second trip, Barnabas wanted to take Mark along again. Paul was adamantly opposed to coming because he had quit them on the first trip. The disagreement was so sharp that Paul then took Silas and Barnabas took his cousin Mark and he went to Cyprus and apparently was able to guide Mark into greater usefulness for the Lord. And I want to read portions of the scripture of that story with you as well. We're right here in the book of Acts. Turn back to chapter 11. You're probably just about right there. Chapter 11, look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. <clears throat> Remember, Stephen, of course, was martyred, and it, 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 it uh, set off this great uh, persecution against the believers. So they were scattered all over, preaching the word, but only to Jews. Verse 20, but some of them, them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, meaning Greek-speaking Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. When news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, and was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now we could preach a whole sermon on that passage of Scripture, some fantastic stuff, but I'm just building this with Barnabas, who happens to be John Mark's cousin. He says he is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He's a useful servant of God. He's serving the Lord. Now to turn over to chapter 12 and verse 25, right at the end of the chapter, and we'll just read a couple of verses. Barnabas and Saul, now they've been in Antioch for a year, Preaching and teaching the word of God, verse 24 of chapter 12 says, The word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in the church there was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas is one of them, Simeon, uh, uh, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And thus begins, right there in chapter 13, the beginning of the ministry of the Apostle Paul that goes all the way to the end of the book of Acts. And who was with him from the very beginning? Barnabas, John Mark's cousin. And John Mark... Uh, he, 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 Barnabas takes his cousin, and he takes him to Antioch. He brings him back to Jerusalem with him. And when Paul and Barnabas set out on their missionary journey, John Mark is with them. He's traveling along with them. Look at verse 13, same chapter, chapter 13, verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. For some unknown reason... John Mark left them and went back home, presumably to his mother's house. Maybe Paul's confrontational style and all the opposition Paul faced rattled him a little bit. 
I mean, if you were a ministry helper or somebody who was constantly getting beat up and thrown in jail, maybe it would rattle you too. I don't know. I mean, Paul, there was just controversy everywhere Paul went. Maybe he wasn't prepared for all the opposition Paul was going to face. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe he got a letter from his mother saying, I miss you. Will you come home and see me for a while? I I don't know. The Bible doesn't say we're just speculating. But, But whatever his reason was for leaving, we know that the Apostle Paul did not accept it. He thought there was no legitimate reason for John Mark to have left he and Barnabas and gone back to Jerusalem. We see that in chapter 15. If you'll turn just a couple pages over, in chapter 15. Glad you got your fingers warmed up today. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with him the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we see again, whatever reason that John Mark left them in that first, that first church planting endeavor, Paul did not accept whatever his reason was. And when they got ready to come back around again, and, uh, and they were going to go visit all those churches, and Barnabas says, yeah, let's go. I'll get John Mark and bring him. Paul says, no, 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 no. Oh, no way, no way. He's a quitter. He dumped us. He left us right in the middle of the word. He's supposed to be our helper. He's supposed to be our, our, our assistant. I don't want him again. He blew it. I'm not giving him another chance. Barnabas says, come on, Paul. Give, give, give the kid another chance. I mean, you know, his mother knows the Lord. She's, a, she's wrapped up in mean, all, the, all the ministry things going on in the church in Jerusalem. I'm just speculating, obviously. The scripture doesn't say that. I have been around a long time. I know how people argue. And so Barnabas is telling him all these things. And whatever happened, Paul says, absolutely not. I will not take him again. And he said that the contention was so sharp that they said, well, I guess we can't work together on this trip then. Because you want John, you won't give a, you won't give an inch on that. I don't want John, and I'm not giving an inch on it, so I guess we might as well split, split up and go, to, go our separate ways. And so they did. Paul chose Silas to go with him. The scripture calls him a prophet a little bit later on. Barnabas took Mark. They went to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas was from. And and John Mark disappears for about 10 years. People who look at New Testament chronology and and research all these things with early church records and various things, they say there's about 10 years passes. The Apostle Paul is now in prison in Rome. His two-year house arrest that we've talked about when we were preaching through the book of Philippians, that's where he was, his two-year house arrest. Remember, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He wrote those four letters during those two years that he was under house arrest in Rome. And look at his the book of Colossians in chapter 4. Mark suddenly reappears again. Colossians chapter 4, 
Paul is kind of signing off his letter and he's writing about things. Now, remember, we're about 10 years down the road. And he says in verse 10 and, and, and verse 11, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, and look what he says about him. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, and they have proved to be a comfort to me. I thought, wow, that's cool. Something happened to Mark in those ten years. Something positive happened to Mark in those ten years that we don't see him anywhere. Maybe Cousin Barnabas was able to get him grounded and, and, and focused in some positive ways for the Lord. But here he is, and Paul's under house arrest about, about ten years after, after this big split he had with, with uh, Barnabas over, over all this. And, and who in the world is in Rome with Paul ministering to him in prison? It's Mark. There he is. Again. And Paul says, wow, he has been such a comfort to me in my ministry here. So the guy that Paul was ready to, you know, throw to the lions here 10 years ago, all of a sudden now, he said, wow, this, this is great. Paul's, I mean, John Mark's here, here with me. He's the cousin of Barnabas. And, and remember, I told you, if he comes to your church, you make sure you receive him. He's a good guy. And, and, and he has proved to be such, such a comfort to me as a fellow worker in the kingdom. I say, hallelujah, God can redeem deserters. God, God can take people who quit and throw in the towel and turn their back on the Lord or, or whatever happened in all of that. For whatever reason, Mark went back to Jerusalem. We don't know specifically. But whatever it was, Paul was had nothing to do with it. And now ten years later, here he is in Rome, right back in the thick of ministry again, ministering to Paul while he's in prison and is a comfort to him. And Paul calls him my fellow worker for the kingdom of God. That's just, that, just, that just is so fascinating to me. Another five years pass. Paul got released. Remember, we've talked about that. Uh, but then about four or five years later, he got rearrested. And see, the first time he was arrested, it was kind of under Jewish law. And so he figured he probably, once he got to Rome, he figured he would probably get released when his court date came up. And, and he was, because the Roman authorities, I'm sure, just looked at, at these Jewish things and said, this is just some kind of a Jewish religious law thing. I mean, we don't even want to deal with that. And they just, they just threw the case out and then Paul left. But the second time he got arrested, it was because they were saying he was a traitor against Rome. Because he wouldn't bow to the emperor. You know, he would not worship the emperor. That's why a lot of Christians were killed. Because they, they, would, they would say, you think there's only one God? Yeah, we think there's only one God and it's not Caesar. <gasps> you know, I, I mean, people were dying by the thousands for those, for those reasons. So Paul is in prison now a second time. And this time, he figures, he, he figures he's going to be killed. And look at uh, the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just a few pages further. Second Timothy in chapter 4. Paul is in prison. He has already said to Timothy in this letter, The time of my departure is at hand. Verse 6 of chapter 4. 
He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to die. This is, this is going to be it for me. But look what he says in verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly, he says to Timothy, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. And look what he says to Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Hmm. The last letter that Paul ever wrote, he says to Timothy, hurry and come. He says to him a little bit later, come before winter. I don't know how much more time I've got. And when you come, bring Mark, because he is useful to me in the ministry. Then final, one, clo- one closing verse in 1 Peter in chapter 5. We'll just keep marching our way through and look at 1 Peter in chapter 5. Way down at the end of Peter's letter, as he's signing off his letter as well. I want you to see how Peter refers to Mark. In verse 12, he says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly. In other words, he dictated this to to Silvanus, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, and that's a code word for, for Rome in the early church. They were trying not to get in trouble with things when they'd write letters if it fell into the wrong hands. So Babylon is just, it is a code word for Rome. So he say, the church people who are in Rome elect together with you, greet you. And he says, and so does Mark, my son. Now he wouldn't call him his son, unless he had either led him to Christ or unless Mark was like a son to him in the ministry. You remember a little more widely known that the Apostle Paul called Timothy his son in the faith. But here in 1 Peter 5, Peter calls Mark his son in the faith. So why, why did we take this little side road this morning? Because I want you to know Mark's background. Mark was not a prophet. Mark was not an apostle. Mark was not a pastor. Mark was not any sort of official church leader as far as we can tell. Mark was a helper. He was an assistant. He was a behind-the-scenes servant of the Lord. And after his initial crash, copping out on the apostle Paul and cousin Barnabas and quitting the ministry and going back to Jerusalem for whatever reason... He apparently got his priorities squared away. He got his commitment level renewed. And he ended up being a tremendous blessing both to Peter and to Paul as a helper, as a faithful ministry assistant. So if you look back to times where you feel like you blew it. You know, I've got times in my life I feel like I really blew it. Ministry-wise or thing, I mean, I mean, if we are, there is no human being alive who is mistake-proof when you're trying to serve God. And if you look back to times in your life where you feel like you blew it, maybe you think you really blew it. Take heart. Because if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you are still on this earth breathing, then God is not done with you. If, if Mark could be restored and renewed and find himself ministering to the apostles and ministering with the apostles, then certainly God can and will use you. If you need to realign your priorities and get back on track for the Lord, then renew your commitment to Jesus Christ and get back in the game for the cause of Christ. 
If you are not sure if you truly know the Lord as your Savior, if you're not confident of your relationship to Jesus Christ, please speak with someone here about it. We can help you. Let us help you find the answers that you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And to my brothers and sisters in Christ, I just want you today to go home and be encouraged because the work of the Lord needs many, many helpers, many behind-the-scenes servants of Christ to support the public servants of Christ, to be on the team for the cause of Christ, and God will not forget your labor of love and all of those cups of water given in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. John Mark is on our team. He's one of us. And look what God did with him. We're going to be studying his gospel for the next several months. Look what he did with him. The guy who quit on the Apostle Paul and his own cousin and left the ministry and went back home. And over those 10 years, whatever happened, God restored him and, and renewed him. And Paul says, bring that guy, man. I love. He's my fellow worker. He's such a comfort to me. He's profitable for the ministry. Bring him along. Peter, the other apostle, another apostle says, he's like my son in the faith. Hey, John Mark's one of us. He blew it and God, God restored him and renewed him. So be encouraged and remember what God did with John Mark. Let's pray. Lord, we are very willing to admit to you our flaws and our failures and our stumblings. Lord, none of us are mistake-proof in what we say or what we do. We've perhaps made blunders in the ministry, blunders in trying to deal with someone, blunders in trying to witness to somebody. Lord, you never throw in the towel on us. If we're still alive and we're still here on this earth, it's because there's somebody you want us to minister to. So Lord, help us to remember that everything we do that we may get discouraged about. We may feel like no one sees, no one knows. Remember, God is not unjust to forget our labor of love. Lord, we see all that you did with John Mark. We see how you used him in this incredible way to write the second book in our New Testament. We see the great comfort and ministry that he had with Peter and Paul. Always a behind-the-scenes worker, always a helper never in the forefront, never with some official position, but was used of God to help in so, so many ways. Lord, may that strengthen and encourage us as we work our way through the routines of life, trying to be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.